for the reading of God's Word. This is from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 31. Love your enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistrust you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. You may be seated. Good morning. Today's message concerns the hardest thing you will ever have to do. Loving your enemies. The world rightly says, love your friends. Look out after your friends. Take an interest in your friends. It's enlightened self-interest because when you look after them, they'll look out after you. Even your spouse, look out after them. Scripture says to husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. When you love your wife, you're loving yourself. It is enlightened self-interest to look out after your spouse. But to look out after the well-being of your enemies, that's a whole different story. As Jesus speaks, he tells them about his ethic his morality, his principle for life. Consider the audience. He says in verse 27, but I tell you who hear me. He had called his disciples around him. He was sharing with his disciples, with fellow believers. Love is the big idea, the divine imperative, the ultimate value that you can have. But is this a glorified feeling in your gut? You know, a warm, marshmallowy kind of glow that you get. Is that the type of feeling that he's talking about? No, he, he says something different. He says, love your enemies. Now, he just lost part of his audience. We as preachers can tell. You know, you adults, you can fake it pretty good. Kids are a different story. They're honest. You know when you've lost them. But Jesus has just lost part of his audience. The culture of the day was something different. The idea of loving your enemies, no, that's not going to fly. Think about it. 
They're in Jerusalem. Who has control of the city of Jerusalem? Rome does. That's kind of like Russia invading Ukraine and asking the Ukrainians to love these guys that just blasted their cities apart. And Rome has been there for decades, and the resentment has not reduced one bit. Now, there were some people that learned to get along under the system. The Sadducees said, you know, they're in control. We can't do anything about it. Let's just go along to get along. And they kind of got wealthy in the process. But they were looked upon as traitors by many of their fellow Jews who looked upon them as being complicit with the evil empire, which worshipped a false system of deities. You had a group within Israel called the Sicarii, and the Sicarii would uh, target Roman officials or Jews who worked with them. And so when you had a big gathering, maybe at a festival, and uh, the streets were just packed, and so they could just kind of sneak up to that Roman official, and when nobody's looking, pull out a dagger and put that man away. And then just blend into the crowd and escape. So the idea of loving your enemies, was this something that, that the Jews generally would accept? This was radical stuff. But then again today, is loving your enemies, really, is that really what most people do? No. Well, who is your enemy? You might say, well, Mark, I don't have any enemies. Well, let me ask you, is there anybody that you'd like to get revenge on? Is there anybody who triggers bitterness in you? Anyone who your resentment swells up? as you're around them. Someone you would like to get back at. Well, what should our enemies get? Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. Wow. What does that look like, really? Verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Stephen Shedderer, an army medic, met his enemy's bullet before he met his enemy. He was stationed in Baghdad during the conflict between America and Iraq, 2005. And an enemy sniper targeted him and pulled the trigger. He was knocked down by the bullet, but because of his uh, bulletproof vest, he was saved. Well, he was attached to uh, a group, and they found this sniper. When they finally found the sniper, they discovered this assailant had been wounded. So now... He's got a choice. 
Just moments earlier, this person had lined up the crosshairs of his rifle and pulled the trigger, intending to end Shedderer's life. He probably would have been justified, perhaps, in the eyes of many if he had roughed up the guy. But he needed medical attention. Shedderer chose to tend to the wounds and save the man's life. Well, Jesus wants us to get the idea of what it is to love our enemies. And he gives us some concrete examples. In verse 29, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. A slap on the cheek pictures rejection. And Christ's disciples, both before and after the cross, experienced rejection among the people. They consistently did the right thing. They were known after the cross. They were known as people who cared, as people who turned the other cheek, as people who met needs, even for people who had despised them and had persecuted them. No wonder, as we are studying Acts in Thomas Lane's class, we are seeing that many, a great many people came to faith. It's because of this type of attitude. Well, Jesus is seeking to train disciples to think and act and love as he does. Turning the other cheek is indeed what he did as soldiers spat on him and flogged him and jammed a thorny crown into his scalp. We might be tempted to retaliate, but he didn't. Instead, he prayed for those who did these very things. He loved them, and that's the radical lesson of verse 29. Concrete example number two. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. The second command is, if someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. All right, your cloak is your outer wear. It's your jacket. It's what you wear on a cold day. The tunic is what you wear next to your skin. So what he's saying is, if somebody takes your your coat, offer him your t-shirt. Now, there may be a little hyperbole in Jesus' statement. He may not be expecting us to literally strip down to our skin. But you get the idea. He's saying when somebody takes something unjustly, you could respond in anger. You could seek vengeance. Respond in love because you represent the king. You represent his kingdom. Julio Diaz, a 31-year-old Bronx social worker, just wanted to do what he did every day on the night after he got off work, and that's go to his favorite diner and enjoy a good meal. 
There's only one thing stopping him from doing that, a mugger. As he got off the subway, and he was on the subway platform, a young teenager approached him and got face-to-face, pulled out a knife, and demanded his wallet. Well, Diaz, figuring that it wasn't worth a fight, fished out his billfold and gave it to the young man. As the man is about to run away, he made the choice to employ this kind of approach. And he yelled at the young man, hey, if you're going to go robbing people all night, you might as well take my jacket, it's cold out. The man was shocked, and he stopped. Diaz said that looking at him, he could see he needed the money. And he offered him his coat and said, hey, why don't we go in the diner and have a meal? The young man was too shocked to say no. So they went in. And he observed what happened next. He saw the waiters and waitresses and the people tending and bussing tables give Diaz a wave or a smile or a friendly word. And he was really shocked. He thought maybe Diaz owned the place. And he shared his observations with Diaz. And Diaz came back with a question, well, weren't you taught to be nice to people? He said, yeah, but I don't think people actually lived that way. Well, when the meal was over, after they'd had a good talk, when the meal was over, Diaz said, hey, I need my billfold back to pay for the meal, which the young man freely gave. And, and Diaz pulled out 20 and, and gave it to the young man and also asked him to surrender the knife, which he did. When Diaz told his mother about the encounter, she said, you're the kind of kid that if somebody asked you for the time of day, you'd give them your watch. Now we come to a point in Jesus' sermon where the big idea is restated. We call it the golden rule. Simply this, verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So now Jesus moves on from the love of enemies to the way to practice this kind of love. It's been called the golden rule for good reason. Now, scholars have observed that this has been shared in the negative previously. Jesus wasn't maybe the first to come up with this kind of idea, but it had always been stated in the negative. In other words, uh, like Hillel, the rabbi Hillel before Jesus said, What you don't want people to do to you, don't do to them. This is the whole of Torah. So they stated it negatively, and it was just to protect people from being abused. But Jesus flips that around. He turns it to the positive. And there's so much more that can be done with this. It really is radical stuff. Well, the golden rule is another way of saying, love your neighbor. Again, this love is not a feeling, it's action. Jesus says to do this to others. But, 
the question could come, why should I love my enemies? Jesus, aren't you being a little unrealistic? This is extreme. And so he says, let me explain. If you love those who love you, verse 32, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. In other words, you're operating at a basic level. This is the same level that, that doctors and, and servants and merchants and everybody operates on. Everybody has this basic level of humanity, or pretty much everybody. Everybody will do good if somebody will do good back to them. That's not going to benefit you. You're my disciples, and I'm offering you a chance to live for God. And if you live for God with a good heart, God will reward you. But you don't get those kind of rewards for simply operating just like everybody else. Jesus takes it to a new level. And he says, if you will do this, my Father will reward you. But why love those who are full of hate? Jesus did say we're to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us. Why should we do that? It seems counterintuitive. And it is. But God's ways are higher. He shows us that our ways what we come up with apart from his word does not measure up to his high standards. Look at verse 33. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. So Jesus restates his idea and drives it home. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. That's how we're to treat our enemies. I've had a pretty good life, and I haven't had a lot of opportunities to experience this. But I have had some. Many years ago, I experienced a dark time in my life. Someone did something which hurt me deeply. It hurt my wife. It affected my kids. And my response was not this. My response out of anger was to pray, Lord, do to them what they did to me. Was that a godly response? No. Was I living this? No. But you know, sometimes in those dark times, God has to take you through something to teach you something. And that's what he was doing with me with this. And as I read scripture, things like this, I realized something. 
my heart was not right. And so I began to pray for them, pray blessings upon them. See, that's what God wanted me to learn because that's the kind of love God has for me. And he wants me to learn to have God's love for other people. He wants us to have mercy. He wants us to lend. If somebody is an unbeliever and, you know, they've been saying bad things about you and maybe persecuting you even, but then they hit hard times. Their job goes away or whatever. And maybe they have run through their friends and there's nobody else. Maybe they've alienated their family. And finally, they come to the last person to you. And you could easily say, well, man, the way they've treated me, no way I'm going. But what does Christ say? Here's your opportunity. I'm giving you an opportunity to show this kind of love. I'm giving you an opportunity to demonstrate the kind of love that God the Father has. You know, none of us are deserving. I hope you know that. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve a relationship with God. It's his grace. It's his goodness. It's his love. It's his mercy that grants us this kind of a relationship. And so now that we're believers in Christ and we've been granted mercy, he says, go and do likewise. So what can you expect if you follow Christ's word in this? Number one, rewards. Verse 35 says, then your reward will be great. Over in in Mark 10, he said that you'd receive 100 times as much. Now, wait a minute. Think about that. You know, you got $100. What's 1% of $100? You can say it. Go ahead. A buck. Yeah. What's 2%? Two bucks. Well, you could go all this all the way up to 100. And then he says, multiply that times 100. 100 times as much. Any of you math wizards know what percentage return that is? A lot. (laughs) Safe answer. I checked my calculator just to be sure, and it's 10,000 percent. A hundred times a hundred. You can bank on this because it's the Lord Jesus speaking. Now, you may not get it in this lifetime. I'm not like the word of faith preachers that are saying, hey, you know, dump every, every dollar you have into our, our coffers and God will make you rich. I'm not saying that. You might get a lot of it down here. You might get most of it in heaven. But somewhere, this is going to come true. 10,000 percent... You guys, some of you invest in mutual funds. Anybody want to get a 10,000% return? <laughs> okay, me too. Yeah, it'd be great. Can you count on uh, Purity Fidelity to give you this kind of return? Can you count on God? 
When we demonstrate mercy to others, God promises to have mercy on us. When we grant grace to others and give, you cannot outgive God. He will give it back. Now, number two, what can you expect if you follow Christ's word? Number two is a family resemblance. Verse 35 again. And you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. When disciples follow our Lord's commands to love, to do good, to lend, and more, we do not earn our way into a relationship with our Father. Rather, because we already are related to him, and we are living as he told us to do, the fact of our sonship becomes clear. There's a saying, like father, like son or daughter. He is our father. And when we demonstrate walking in the spirit, living according to the word, we resemble him. And people can see that resemblance in sons and daughters to their parent. People will see the family resemblance and hopefully they'll ask you, you know, you're different. Why is that? And you can tell them. Well, final sum up. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. How do I love my enemy? In all seriousness, you ask. This isn't a matter of just thinking nice thoughts. We need Jesus to do a heart change in us, to put the kind of heart within us that God has towards our enemies. The very... God who sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our misdeeds. You know, think about the people at the time of Christ when he came and when he died. A world full of despicable people, God-haters, vulgar, foul-mouthed, unfaithful to spouses, lying, cheating, stealing, selfish, and the list goes on. Jesus Christ died for every one of those sins. And we may not have committed all those, but every one of us, in one way or another, has fallen short. Every one of us has fallen short of God's holy standard and God's glory. And so we need forgiveness. We need a Savior. And that's why Jesus came and died to offer us mercy and pardon so we could have a relationship with him. And once we have that relationship, isn't it good for us to begin to be like our Heavenly Father? Maybe it's not so much of an obligation as much as it is a privilege to begin to live like he wants us to live, like Jesus did, in fact, live.
Now, I want to qualify this a little bit because this message could be taken out of context. What Jesus does not mean. Now, if you get the point, then Jesus' hyperbole has struck home. Now, let's consider what his words don't mean. They don't mean we as a society should let criminals run free and do violence to anyone. It doesn't mean we shouldn't call the police when robbed. It doesn't mean that we should stand idly by when someone is assaulted. Jesus' words aren't about crime and pacifism and war. They're about loving our own personal enemies in a radical way. And one more thing. Jesus is not teaching that forgiveness always means reconciliation. To our women, I would say this. If, if you discover that your best friend is having an affair with your husband, you will need to forgive. You'll need to forgive to get the bitterness out. But that does not mean you take a family vacation with them. If a man uses his position to abuse children, You don't put him in charge of teaching Sunday school to kids. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. Now, I want to give some application here. We are to be like our Lord, and we are most like him when we love as he loves. Luke alone tells us, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. On the cross, when he was experiencing enormous pain, he cries out in a prayer for his persecutors. Now, if you're a Christian in this world, we will experience pushback, especially if we live as Christ wants us to live. If you're a Christian on a college campus, you will seen as out of step or a prude or maybe worse. If you work for a large corporation, very often the culture within that corporation may be at odds in some form or fashion with Christianity. And you will be seen as out of step or maybe working against their purposes. Regardless of how we are viewed and sometimes looked down upon, let's keep on loving. Keep on doing the best for others. You know one reason evangelism doesn't have more impact than it does? is because people don't often see this kind of radical love lived out. People saw it in Jesus. You remember what the centurion said after he had crucified Christ and he's near death? He said, surely this man was the son of God. 
life lived out in this radical way gets people's attention. Another application. We must retrain our knee-jerk response of getting payback. You know, when somebody cuts me off, you know, it's real tempting to shake my fist. But when you get in an accident, and the accident is clearly the other person's fault, what kind of attitude do we get out of the car with? You know, our banged up, smashed fender, and, and we get out of the car, what's our attitude? Well, if our attitude can be, hey, are you okay? That's a great response. We, we got that a couple weeks ago. One of our members was involved in an accident, totaled his truck, his father's truck, and sent him to the hospital. So I go to the hospital to visit, and his wife is there and meet her. We can't go in because of code restrictions. I think they're loosening up on that now. That's a good thing, but two weeks ago, we couldn't go in. And so the discussion was about the accident, and, and it was the other person's misjudgment of distance that seemed to have caused the accident, maybe trying to get through a red light too quickly or a light that was turning red. And yet the wife said about her husband, he, he's really concerned for her, and we found out she's okay. Isn't that a great response? To not be so focused on getting revenge, but on the well-being of the other person. Next, we are to bless our enemy. We must forgive, but you say, if you only knew what he did to me, you'd hate him too. But forgive him, because until you forgive, you will not be free. Let me say that again. Until you forgive, you will not be free. So forgive. <clears throat> well, how do we know when we've forgiven them? Jesus tells us one more step. And this is how we know we've forgiven. If we begin to pray for God to bless that person. When you stop asking for condemnation and you begin to pray for forgiveness for that person and blessing for that person, your heart is right and you have learned this lesson. Finally, realize that when we love sacrificially, God will up the ante. What do I mean by that? I mean God will reward us. If you love that person, you don't do it to get reward. But when you love that person, whatever the issue is, God is going to bless you. God is going to give you a, a magnanimous spirit. It's going to be something that radiates from you. People are going to recognize that spirit. And God will find ways. And I don't know what those ways are, but I just have seen it over and over. God will bless you. So my request is this. As hard as it is, maybe the hardest of all things, love your enemy. Father God, we thank you. That's what you did when we were that enemy to you. 
We thank you, Father, that you sent Christ, that he died for us. He paid for our sin and offers us eternal life with you as our heavenly Father. Thank you, Father, for this great love that you have for us. Father, help us to learn to be more like you by loving our enemies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.